Sometimes it's the little things that make the big difference. On February 27th, 1943, a small group of allied Norwegian commandos set out on a mission that perhaps changed the course of the war and for sure saved thousands, if not millions of lives. Their mission was called Operation Gunnerside. And the purpose of it was to raid a Norwegian hydro plant originally used to make ammonia for fertilizer, but now had been taken over by the Germans to produce heavy water to create the atomic bomb. Their mission was critical and they'd received intel from a physicist who worked within the plant that the Germans were advancing and were busy at work and that something needed to be done to thwart their efforts and stop the production of heavy water to spare people and to win the war. The Germans had been in, in competition with the Americans to produce the first atomic bomb. And so the, the plan was originally just to send in um, uh, American bombers to bomb the plant. But when they weighed the risks and considered the Norwegian people, they had to come up with a different plan. Two British commando troops tried to get in but failed. And finally, the Norwegian troop, the commandos, found themselves ready to go. There were three ways to get into the Vomork plant. The first was to ski down a mountainside and to weave their way through a minefield, likely uh, detonating the mines and exposing themselves to the Nazi soldiers and posing great risk. The second was equally as dangerous. It was to cross a single lane bridge, easily exposed and easily, ex and easily seen. The third seemed daunting, but it's the plan they chose. They would parachute into a high mountain pass on the other side of the gorge across the way from the plant. They would ski down the hillside into the gorge bottom. They would, they would cross a half frozen, frigid cold water, a river, and then they would ascend a 500 foot cliff. History tells us that when they got to the, to the, the top of the cliff, Newt Hockelid pulled out a pair of metal cutters that he had picked up in, in England during training one night when they were out to watch a movie. And he used those metal clippers to cut a hole in the fence and to quietly get inside. Once they were inside, they wanted to infiltrate the plant. And when they tried the door, it was locked. And so they looked and found a window. And with no Nazi troops around, they broke the window and made their way inside. Five men would, would watch and keep guard. Four of them would go to the processing plant heart, to the facility where the heavy water was made, strategically plant bombs and explosives, detonate them, and then get out of there. They realized that the, the window of opportunity was getting smaller and smaller, and so they cut the wicks on the explosives and set them into place and then lit them off and then ran for their lives. As they ran and, and got out the window and got into the yard, they could hear the explosives detonate and they knew that their mission had been successful. Upon inspection of the covert attack, the German general, Nicholas van Falkenhorst, declared that Operation Gunnerside had been the most splendid of coups and indeed that it had slowed down, if not completely stopped, the Nazis' desire to develop the atomic bomb. For the Allied troops... This was considered to be a great victory, while very small in nature and very small in what it accomplished. And actually, in the bigger picture, it was massive. They had stopped the production of the atomic bomb and had spared millions of lives. And yes, while those men suffered, their service made an indelible impact upon the war. 
And it's from this perspective today, something small that has a massive impact that we want to look back into the book of Philippians, back into um, this series that we've called Unstuck. And consider how in all seasons of life, we as believers in Jesus can find joy despite the circumstances or the experiences around us. We want to consider the opportunities we have to live the joy-filled, abundant life that we know Jesus has for us, despite what's happening outside. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to keep them open. If you haven't done so previously from our time with Justine, to reopen them to Philippians chapter 1. And this week, we're going to journey through verses 12 to verses 22. And here, consider the consideration that Paul gives us. To look out from the 30,000-foot level, from an expanded view, and to consider how our circumstances can actually contribute to the greater work that God's doing around us. As we start digging into this chapter, we read words that are really important that as we look at a new posture to living the joy-filled life, and we read this in verse 12. Now I want you to know what uh, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of this, Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Remember that in these moments, Paul is in in prison. He's being contained within a cell. He's bound by chains and his life is actually, uh, from the outside looking in, incredibly miserable. And we can read the, the gospel account of this in Acts chapter 16 and, and understand his story where he uh, has been bound in this strategic city that he, uh, he loved and he was a part of, a place that held the Philippian church. Philippi was important. And as he's contained there, we discover these rhythms and these patterns for joy. And it's the perspective of Paul here in this moment that even though he's contained, even though he's bound within this cell, What he's doing is actually making a difference to advancing the kingdom. Something we would look at and consider to be defeated or done. Something that we would look at and say, there's no point in advancing any further. Paul is looking at and saying, it's actually making a difference. It's helping. It's it's strategic. It's the plan of God so that even more lives can get touched. These verses, this consideration is something that's critical in the Christian life. And for Paul, he he wants us to understand the important posture of zooming out and seeing the bigger picture of what God is doing in this moment. He wants us to consider the fingerprints of God as he sits in jail. In some translations, it says, uh, as Paul says here, it actually served to advance the gospel. In some translations, it says, it's really helping to advance the gospel. In another translation, it says, it's actually making a difference. It's really making a difference that I'm here. And he goes on in verse 14 to say that because of his chains, most of the people who are around him were being touched for Christ. And if he hadn't been there, if he hadn't been thrown in jail, then perhaps the opportunity to come to influence these particular lives never would have come unless God had allowed this to take place. And it's this posture of seeing the bigger picture, 
of having perspective, of, of valuing the moment that allows Paul to find deep joy in the midst of a difficult time of his, of his life. And it lifts him to the place where he's able to proclaim in verse 18 here that yes, I will continue to rejoice. Friends, as we are people who desire to move from stuck to unstuck, as we are people who desire to to live a joy-filled life despite the circumstances around us, a posture that we must assume is the posture of zooming out and viewing our circumstances or our experiences or our suffering or, or, or our situation, whatever the case might be, from a higher perspective than in tight and zoomed in close. Paul invites us to look out and to have perspective from a much higher view so that we can see the fingerprints of God, so that we can understand the value of the moment, and so that we can embrace whatever it is that God wants to have us do. It's been my experience in life that when I go through difficult seasons that I can sometimes zoom in on my problem and I get lost in the moment and and don't understand what it is that God's doing. And yet through a few helpful practices, as I zoom out, sometimes I can understand the message that needs to come out of the mess. Sometimes I can gain perspective that I never would have had unless I zoom out and look at it from a different view. This is a practice that we see in scripture in a number of places. And I think of, of, the, of the life of Daniel in the lion's den, or I think of, of Joseph as he, as he uh, was sent into slavery in Egypt. I think of one of my favorite stories, the, the life and the story of Nehemiah and the Israelites, a man that zoomed out and understood the bigger picture of what was happening and then obediently stepped forward as God invited him to do. Nehemiah lived a great life. And yet, even as he lived a great life as the cupbearer to the king, he wasn't living in the full identity and the full promise of what God had for him. And when his brothers came and said, brother, you need to know that Israel's lying in ruins, it broke his heart and it gave him that that higher perspective of what he was supposed to do. And in the mess of his life, he discovered the message of what he was supposed to be living. And he journeyed out and he saw, he began to see the fingerprints of God all around him. He received a letter in favor from the king to travel across the ancient Middle East and to come to Jerusalem again. As he walked around the city, rode around the city, he started to catch a vision for what God wanted to do. And in a record amount of time, Nehemiah led the Israelites to do something he never could have done in the flesh himself. They rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. They brought back dignity to God's people. They reestablished the place of worship. And it came because days before, months before, weeks before, Nehemiah zoomed out and caught the vision of what God was doing. And he leaned into it and he valued it and he held it. Friends, There's been so many times in recent days that I've talked with different people here in our church or in the community or even abroad who feel like this season is just weighing them down. They're weary and they're tired, they're discouraged and life is hard. But when when we've been able to process what God is doing and zoom out to the 30,000 foot level, all of a sudden we gain a fresh perspective. And all of a sudden hope rises up on the horizon. 
We see the value of these days. We have perspective uh, of the promise that God is, is giving to us and that he's leading us towards. And all of a sudden it gives us courage and it fills us and it, and it renews us and it gives us joy again. If we just focus on the little mess that's in front of us or the little moment that's in front of us, so often in life, we miss the joy-filled experience or the joy-filled moment that God has. But if we can zoom out and if we can look at, at what God's doing and seeing his fingerprints around us and understanding the greater truth of what he wants to do in these moments, oh friends, it fills us like almost nothing else can. It fills us afresh and it fills us anew with Jesus as our foundation as we talked about last week and with hope for the days to come. So how do we do this? How do we, as believers in Christ, zoom out to the 30,000-foot level and gain perspective into the moments that we live in here today? Well, let me suggest three things quickly that I think are critical and think three things that we can practice even here today, even in these moments as we process this together to gain that perspective and see the value for these days. Number one is we have to ask God to bless us with his Holy Spirit, to fill us afresh and to inspire our minds to understand what he is doing around us. It's probably the most important thing to just utter a simple prayer and say, God, would you give me perspective? Would you anoint me with your Holy Spirit? Would you help me to understand what you're doing here and inspire my mind to know your thoughts? The second thing is we have to dive into this. We have to consume God's word. And I know that these days are busy. And for many of us, we feel like we're running harder and, and life is more full than it's been in many years. But we have to find time to consume God's word on a regular basis. And so whether we sit down at the breakfast table and with our cup of coffee and our, and our morning piece of toast or whatever the case might be, we read through even the book of Philippians as we journey through it. Or we find time through today through the day to listen to the word read to us like we can do with the audio version on the you version of the Bible. Or maybe we listen to a great podcast or a great sermon that talks us through the scriptures. We have to absorb and consume the word of God regularly and allow it to feed us and shape us and direct us and give us perspective so that we don't lose the value of these moments. God's word is so good. It's living and it's breathing and, and it's an instrument and a tool that God uses to speak into our lives. And so we must allow it to do as such. And the last thing is, is that we process what we're journeying through in community. Whether it's our small groups or whether it's uh, brothers and sisters who are ahead of us in life, either uh, have experiences or just have time on their hands that have led them to have perspective into the moments that we live. We process what we're going through in community. And to be honest, friends, it's one of the blessings that we have as an intergenerational church. We are a body of believers that can share in life together. And the, the blessing in doing so is that we can speak into one another's lives and we can show one another the fingerprints of God that are all around us. And we can have hope for the days to come. Friends, the importance of understanding uh, the greater purpose of what God is doing means that it leads us towards advancement and progress in the Christian life. And in the case of Paul, it, allows us to, it allowed him to see that God was at work all around him. And what was the result? 
Well, verse 18 says, because of this, I rejoice. It's hard. It's miserable. It's difficult. It's broken. But, but I see the greater, the greater work that God's doing. And because of this, I rejoice. The same promise is true for you and the same promise is true for me. And it starts as we gain perspective in a way that we typically wouldn't do if we were just left to our own. When we ask God and we, when, we, when we consult in community, God shows us so much more than what we can find just in our minute moment. Well, Paul goes on here. And he says in verse 15, he says, It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. He says, the latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel, and the former preach Christ out of a selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. And then he says in verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. You know, there's been many times in my life when there's been opportunities to link arms with other believers. I have disqualified people because I haven't found them fit or worthy in the flesh to journey alongside of me. And it's wrong. It's sinful. Because of somebody's age or because of their experience, because of their theological leanings, or because for whatever reason, they're just different from me. I've come to the conclusion that there isn't room or value to journey forward together. And as this has been the reality in my life, I believe it's been the reality of, for, for many of us, and, and, and the, the practice for many different church families, local church families, as they've worshipped together. We found more reason to disqualify people than we found reasons to unify our hearts and to, to complete and to work at the mission that God has for us. And Paul addresses this here. And to be honest, this is one of these passages in Scripture that probably uh, many preachers wouldn't be comfortable in, in addressing. And I'm not saying I'm better than them. I'm just happens to be the next part of the passage that we have to address. And the problem with it is that there's this inconvenient truth that's found within this, this, this passage in this context. And, and part of the problem of it is that if we want to live the joy-filled life, the abundant life that Jesus wants for us in John chapter 10, verse 10, then we have to understand what Paul's saying to us here, what's truly important. And rather than disqualifying people, let's find what we're agreeing upon in life and what we're united upon in life, that being Jesus. And let's allow that to be the key to what moves us forward. This has been a troubling pattern in Christian traditions for for generations. And yet Paul says what truly matters is Jesus. And if we can be the kind of people that, that preach Christ and give him the glory, if Jesus is the sole focus of our worship, if he's the sole focus of our message, if he's the one that we're directing people towards, then there's great reasons to link arms. And listen, friends, there's times in the Christian life, there's times in our, in our practice that that we should walk away from other groups of people. If there's a violation of scripture, if, if they're not uh, receiving the word of God as the inspired word of God, as the inerrant uh, word given to us, if there's violations of doctrine according to scripture, or if Christ isn't the sole focus and we've put the focus on ourselves, 
And there's reasons, and Paul would agree that we should walk away. But if the focus is Jesus, if the heart is to glorify him and lead others to do the same, if it glorifies God and it aligns with scripture, then there's lots of space in the Christian life to link arms and to strategically look into our communities and take the next hill for him. On our staff team, if you were to sit us down as we do weekly behind the camera that I'm preaching into right now, you would find a circle of tables that are are assembled there. And you would find a circle of people that have lots of different ministry focus and lots of ministry different, uh, lots of different ministry passions. For some on our team, their their passion is evangelism. For others on our team, the passion is is, uh, discipleship. For others, it's mission. For others, it's compassion. For some, it's worship. For others, it's kids. For others, youth. For some, adults. For some, men. For some, women. And we look at it all and we say, what's the thing that unites us and binds us together? It's Jesus. we, We desire to glorify Jesus and to be faithful to the word of God. And so we find great reason to link arms and to serve and to wrestle together for Jesus. And as we do, there's a sense of joy that we find on our team that's just exceptional and beautiful and and joyful. And if we were to take it out beyond the walls of this church, we could say that there are many in our community who share a, a uh, a similar desire, a similar joy. People from across the board, from different denominations, from different traditions that have different passions and different ministry thrusts and different ministry hopes, but ultimately at the end of the day, who want to glorify Christ alone, who want to be faithful to scripture. Once again, Paul invites us to zoom out to the 30,000 foot level. And he's saying, quit worrying about some of the little things, but worry about what matters most. Worry about Christ. Preach Christ and rejoice in this because this is what matters in the Christian life. Friends, there's probably more that we can agree on with Pentecostals and Baptists and Mennonite brethren and evangelical free churches and community churches and brethren churches and all sorts of different churches. There's more that we can agree on that on them then that we would disagree with. And if we can look at one another and say, Jesus is first, we're going to experience something that we say almost weekly here in the church to bring glory to God and joy to the people. This isn't easy stuff, but I found that in my life, when I have worked to, to, to disqualify, it's brought more unity and it's brought more uh, of a perspective of being stuck. And when I found opportunities to link arms, and to celebrate Christ with other brothers and sisters in Christ. It's released me from that posture of being stuck, and it's brought me to places of being unstuck and joy-filled, and it's blessed me in powerful ways. Paul finishes up this passage, and he says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain, and he finishes this part by just saying something so powerful. This is a man who's been powerfully transformed. A man who actively persecuted Christians as Saul and powerfully transformed and become the Apostle Paul. Jesus has radically transformed him. And in doing so, he says, uh, uh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says that life that I used to live, my former self, he says, I'm regularly dying to that. 
And I'm coming alive to the things that Jesus is doing in me and around me and through me and with me. And I'm absorbing it and I'm rejoicing in it and I'm, in, and I'm embracing it and I'm consuming every moment of it. And similar to the invitation that, that Jesus gave to Paul in this moment, I believe that Jesus is extending an invitation to us and he's inviting us into a deeper life. He's inviting us into a deeper moment. And it starts as we zoom out to the 30,000 foot level. And as we look at the mess all around us and we start to consider where the fingerprints of God are and how God is working and he's inviting us to, to see the value of the moment. He's inviting us to see the value of the opportunity. He's inviting us to see the value of the team around us and to be filled with joy because despite the mess of the moment, there's a message that's at work. Jesus is moving and Jesus is bringing together his people. Jesus is blessing. And it's causing us to be joy-filled and it's causing us to rejoice. This is the abundant life that Jesus wants for us. Not to get bound by a moment, but to be released to see his hand at work amongst us. And I want to encourage us as a church today to not get bogged down, but instead to start to process what we're in and what we're going through and to start to ask God to show us the greater work that he is doing. And to start to reveal to us through his word and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And in just contemplation with others around us, how he's blessing and how he's moving and how he's using these moments for his glory and for our joy. Friends, sometimes it's the little things that make a big difference. And in these moments right now, I have to believe that, that the Holy Spirit is stirring within each of us to show us the bigger picture of what God is doing. And I would encourage us not to lose heart, but instead to take heart and to zoom out and to look at God. When I was in my teenage years, I lived in Calgary and often uh, on the weekends and especially in the summer times, we would make our way out to the mountains and we would go hiking, my friends and I. And we used to love to go into the Wipers Valley or the Bow Valley or the different valleys that were around us and, and go on these wonderful hikes together. And they typically went the same way. We would go out and in our youth, we wouldn't be equipped for the trip, but we would start to ascend these mountain sides and we'd scramble up the side of, of a trail or, or we would, you know, climb a short uh, a hill or a cliff or whatever the case might be. And we'd work our way up to the top. We were young and so oftentimes we'd forget to bring our water bottles or we wouldn't apply sunscreen. And as we approached the top, we'd really be worn out and, and just wondering why we had bothered with this hike. And as people who are parched and often sunburnt, as we would crest the top of that mountain, we would come to a place where we could see the beauty of God's creation below. And all of a sudden, it became incredibly worth it to have endured that hillside so that we could get to the top and see the bigger picture of what God had done in front of us. Mountains and rivers, trees and valleys, we stood in awe of the beauty of God's creation. And similarly, in these moments here now, as maybe we're doing great, or maybe we're struggling, as maybe we feel like life is messy or broken or whatever the case might be, when we get to the top and when we see the fingerprints of God, we too will stand in awe 
and be encouraged, joy-filled people, rejoicing and singing praises to the King as people who've moved from stuck to unstuck. God bless.